My name is Paul Buckley. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Normally, uh, on most Sundays, I get the privilege of bringing God's Word. I was away last weekend. We got a weekend away with our daughter who served Olivia. Um, and she's here for just a couple few weeks. She's actually here this morning, so if you know Mary, you can say hi to her. Um, she's returning on Friday back to serve down in La Paz. And thank you for your prayers. And uh, God has been very good to her and through her in La Paz. We are going to be starting a series in a little bit in the book of Exodus. And before we do that, though, this Sunday is kind of a, an option Sunday. So I thought I'd uh, choose a message related to the new year. I know last week you heard a great message from God's Word from Pastor Jeff related to the new year. Really, every message is related to, to the new year. Um, but I chose this morning to look at Psalm 126. Um, so we'll be looking there and... Just, is that sound-wise? I can go to another mic if there's a problem. So uh, Psalm 126 is a psalm in the section of the psalms called Songs of Ascent. These are songs that would have been sung as the Old Testament people journeyed to Jerusalem on their regular journeys. So they would gather for worship as the people of God in Jerusalem. And they lived in different places throughout the country, so... Um, it would be a, a festive occasion uh, a few times a year or so. Um, and as they journeyed, they would sing these different psalms, these different songs. And these were intended for, for worship. Um, these songs really characterize the Christian life, characterize certainly the Old Testament people of God because they were journeying from where they lived to gather together in Jerusalem, which was the focal point of God's presence and, and the place where they worshiped, where the temple was. And so it was kind of uh, the place to be as God's people to gather together. So the, the, the songs were sung and they were expressions of what it meant to be God's people. And though Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem um, in the Old Testament uh, is no longer operating in the same way, there's a new Jerusalem awaiting us. And as the church of God, in some ways the church itself is, is like Jerusalem. We are the gathered people of God, each individual church and the whole church together. Um, but we are on a journey as well throughout life. And so these psalms are wonderful psalms to read just in the journey of life. And they cover all different types of topics. But I wanted to focus on Psalm 126 this morning because I think uh, it's an important topic. Um, it addresses the reality or, or the call to look back at what God has done and look forward to what he will do. And I would submit to you that this is to characterize uh, the Christian life. Christian life is one of remembering what God has done, looking back, and then looking forward to what he's going to do. And, and there are a few uh, ideas, I guess, that I would um, more want to present to you than this idea that as we live our life this year in 2020 and beyond, that we live it looking back at what he's done and looking forward to what he's going to do. The focal point, of course, being on him. He is God who, who is gracious and faithful and uh, responds to our prayers, so we look back and we look forward. Should I change my mic? I can do that, so I can do a, a floor mic, if that helps, and I'll just turn this one off. What did they do when they didn't have uh, electronics, huh? I'm sure they still did fine, and we could just go, go, without, go without the mic, but... Um, 
So we're going to look at Psalm 126. We're going to look at this truth and think of it in terms of our lives, in terms of the new year. So let me pray, and then we'll look at God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us your word so that in our regular everyday lives we could hear your truth and be impacted by you and who you are, um, what it means to belong to you and live with you. And Lord, I know that in this psalm there are many lessons uh, that each of us need. I pray, Lord, for the people who are gathered here. You know them, Lord. You know all of us. You know what we need. And I pray you, through your word you would speak truth to our very hearts. And Lord, you would set us on a path, on a journey with you this year, a journey of faith, looking back at what you've done and looking forward to what you will do with our eyes on you, our great God. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you want to remind us of these things. So we ask for your power and presence here as we look at your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read um, 126. I'll read along, and you can follow it up on the screen or in your Bible, in your hand, even better. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. God's word from Psalm 126. It's a wonderful psalm here, and you can tell just by going through it, uh, it's full of emotion, great emotion, and joy, things like laughter and hope and expectation. Um, but it's also full of great truth here. There's wonderful truth in this psalm that I believe as we understand it and apply it to our lives and understand that God put this in his word so that we today, on this Sunday, January 5th, 2020, could benefit from uh, this same orientation. When we think of it that way, I think there's there's great effect that his word can have in our lives, and it can set us on a, a course for this year um, that, that would be a, a one where we're walking with God and we're experiencing faith and, and the truths here in this psalm. What, uh, just to lay out what I'm going to do, the, basically the psalm does two things. It, it looks to the Lord in, in everything, but first it looks back at what he's done and then looks forward to what he's going to do. It's very simple looking back, looking forward, uh, and in that looking at what God has done and what God will do. Um, it's simple, and I think it's very practical and very helpful in our lives just to simply learn how to do this each day, looking back at what he's done, looking forward to what he will do. So first, looking back at what he's done. So the psalmist here um, is talking um, about when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Uh, we don't know for sure what exactly the situation was, uh, but there was some sort of loss for Zion, Zion being the, the people of God, the, the nation of God, um, Israel, uh, um, in the Old Testament. And there was some restoration of the fortunes of Zion. Uh, it's likely that this restoration was the return from exile. So if you know the Bible story, if you follow along, read through the whole Bible story, you know that God called the people to himself out of Egypt. He rescued them. He promised to be gracious to Abraham and his descendants. And so uh, the people were in Egypt. They were enslaved. God brings them out in power. And then he says, I, I want you to be my people, my treasured possession. And so he makes a covenant with them. We're going to be actually addressing that in Exodus. So he makes this covenant, this relationship with them. He calls them to be his people, to walk with him. 
Uh, and he promises to, to bless them and be with them. And he calls them to obedience, to faith and obedience. And so the storyline goes over hundreds of years. The people kind of uh, do well in some ways, uh, but they fail. And, and their failures get more and more significant. And God brings prophets. He brings these spokespeople, spokesmen, to speak on his behalf to his people to call them to come back. Stop following the, the, the ways of the people around you and how they live and, and the other cultures around them, which were basically living um, very destructive lifestyles, had very, very different viewpoints. And so God called them back to himself through the prophets. And yet after 400 years or so of doing this and sending prophets and just making it very clear that he was calling them to repent and to return to them, they refused. And so God uh, had actually earlier on, way, way back, um, a thousand years earlier, um, had told them that, that if you keep on straying, I will actually exile you. I'll send you out of this blessed land, this promised land, um, to discipline you. And so that's what he finally does. 400 years of, of strong and powerful warnings, and they refuse to, to turn, and eventually God sends them into exile. Um, that's important to understand. God is patient. He's merciful. 400 years. So that's basically, imagine in the year, what, 1,500 or 1,600 or so. You start to see prophets call us to something, and then 400 years later, we, we say no continually. Uh, so that's what God did. He sent them into exile. He sent them away from this promised land and, and life around the temple and life around his presence and all the blessing that he intended for them. Um, and they get sent away. They get, uh, first, he sends the Assyrians in, and they conquer the northern kingdom. Then he sends the Babylonians in, and they conquer and exile the southern kingdom. And so, the, so the, most of the people are sent away either to Assyria or Babylon. And it looks like the end. And actually, for every other nation that that happens to, from what I can recall, uh, they all end up dispersing, never reassembled. But God is a God of promise and mercy. And, and so he disciplines those he loves. Um, he doesn't leave them to live forever in exile. He calls them back after 70 years. And it's an amazing story uh, to read. You can see it in, in the scripture. Uh, he calls them back, and, and he, he actually gives them favor with the Persian king. So he get, they get sent back, and he gives uh, them favor with the king and their neighbors, and they actually are given gifts to bring back. So they go back to the land 70 years later or so, and they bring with them the riches of the land, and they're told to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall and, and reestablish themselves. And that is likely the context here. Um, it, it may be another situation, but it's likely the context. And so the psalmist is saying, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Because we thought it was all over. We had, had continually sinned and rebelled, and, and, and God then sends us into exile. But amazingly, he brings us back, and here we are. And he says, and then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. So they're, they're remembering this wonderful return, this wonderful return from exile and, and this, this um, situation that is, is like a dream. Uh, they can't believe it. We're back. We're actually back. God actually did what he said he would do. And here we are back in the land, restored to the Lord. Um, it's, it's interesting to think about that. They, they say that we were like those who dream. I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where, where uh, God answered a prayer or did something and you just were like wow I can't believe this it's like a dream like I have to pinch myself to make me realize it um, there are times in my life I think uh, that I felt like that um, when I first came to faith in Christ it felt like a dream I couldn't believe it um, 
I had, you know, I had strayed quite a far, quite away, ways away from the Lord, and and um, and when I came to faith and I understood He loved me and I was fully forgiven, um, I felt like this huge burden of guilt and shame was just dropped off my back, um, and just that I could know the living God and He wanted to know, walk with me as His son. Um, it was amazing in those days, in those early days, and it's still been wonderful, but those early days, it was like a dream. Um, other times in my life, being engaged, getting married to Peg, having kids, now grandkids, those are all like that. One of the uh, examples in my life as I think about this was uh, actually when God brought us back to start Kingdom Grace. So we're from this area. Peg's, Peg, my wife, grew up in Haverhill. I grew up in the Boston area. And, um, and we kind of got exiled for a while. Uh, my job got transferred down to Maryland, and we enjoyed Maryland. Nothing wrong with Maryland. It's not, it's not a terrible exile. But, um, but our heart was here. Um, we loved our friends and our church and the mission in Maryland, but we couldn't, uh, couldn't stop thinking about New England all through that. And just like we would be in Maryland, and there's more believers and, and more of an influence of, of the word there, I think. And we saw that and thought, well, New England needs churches like the church we're in. And, and, uh, and then God did a bunch of things, long story, and we ended up in 2002 coming back to New England. And that would have been just wonderful to be back. Um, but then to be planting a church in New England. Um, and, and there were times in those early years where I really was like, I got to pinch myself. Is this really happening? Um, and here we are. Uh, so there are, God is good to us. God does these things in our lives that are so wonderful that at times it's, it's, we're like those who dream. It's like, wow, he's answered. And that's what the psalmist is saying here that, that for them, it was, we were like those who dream. We just couldn't believe it. He did this wonderful thing. He restored our fortunes. And there's laughter. There's joy. Um, shouts of joy. And, and, and uh, it's poetic in how it's arranged. And uh, you, know, you see it. It's up there. Uh, it starts two statements with then. So then, when that happened, thinking back, as we look back at that time, then our mouth was filled with laughter. And our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So they themselves are, are remembering it and thinking. And when that happened, we were filled with laughter, our tongue uh, with shouts of joy. And others were saying, God has done great things for them. Uh, so just step back for a minute and think about what's going on in the psalm. This is history. The psalmist is writing this at the time, and this is history. This isn't something that happened like the day before he wrote this. He's looking back, and we don't know how, f how far back. It might have been five years. It might have been 50 years. But the psalmist is looking back and thinking and, and, and actually getting emotional in a sense, right, as you hear about what it was like. I remember what happened. And so there's a depth of remembering that's not just like, yeah, well, that was kind of cool and moving on. It's entering into what God did and reliving it in a sense and reminding uh, themselves of God's goodness. And so this is the point, um, and it's such an important point, that the Christian life walking with God needs to include looking back and remembering and entering into what he's done and celebrating that. And there's a sense where you, as a Christian, you do live in the past in some way. And that's what's going on with the psalmist. And there's such great joy here. It's a wonderful celebration uh, that went on at that time. They were just amazed. Um, I think of in our history when World War II ended, this terrible war where uh, there were 60 million fatalities and 400,000 
U.S. Uh, soldiers were killed during the war. And um, when the war ended, right, the big celebrations, I think we have some pictures of that. Uh, the big celebrations, there was Victory in Europe Day, VE Day, and then Victory in Japan Day. And people were just going crazy in the streets, um, just celebrating it. And, and that's the picture here as well, the, this wonderful celebration of what God has done. So the psalmist is going back, looking back, and, and reliving and remembering this. And then sums it up in verse 3, saying, The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Interesting. We were glad. We are glad. He has blessed us. We are glad. We are glad now for what he's done. We still are experiencing the, the results of his wonderful blessing on us now. We are glad. And so I would submit to you that the exercise of remembering has a present effect as well. It's not just being nostalgic or historic. It's remembering what God is like and what he's done, and it creates joy even now to remember what he's done. Just an important thing, I think, in our lives. And so let me ask you, what has the Lord done for you? What has God done for you? Are you aware? Do you remember? Do you spend time looking back and remembering what he's done? There's lots of things I think each of us could do and go through our lives and, and do those things and think through those things. And I would submit to you that it should be a regular, even a daily habit of just thanking him, thanking God for different things, remembering maybe recent things or things way back at times. Um, to, to do what the psalmist is doing, remembering how God has, has blessed you. And for us, there's a fulfillment here uh, of this psalm that we get to experience that they hadn't yet experienced. Now, all believers, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, put their faith in God and our, uh, co the covenant people of God. So they received the benefits of the fulfillment, but they didn't know about it at the time. We know more of the story, don't we? And we know that the exile actually was even just a picture of something more important. The reality is that, that we um, are no better than the Israelites. We have rebelled against God. Uh, we've, fallen, fall, we've followed our fallen nature away from the Lord. We've strayed away. We've lived in rebellion. We've tried to define our lives on our own. Um, and we can do that in all sorts of ways. There's ways that look really good and really acceptable and ways that look terrible. Uh, there's the whole spectrum. But no matter wh what thing we choose, if God isn't the one we depend on and the one we live for, then we're rebelling against him. Because he's the creator of all things. He's good and he's glorious. He didn't make all this stuff for us just to live ignoring him. He, he wants us in our lives to perhaps reach out to him and find him as we see his goodness and his glory in creation. And yet we all have sinned, all of us, um, have walked away from God. And we're, we've rebelled and God in his justice, he exiles us, he sends us away, he leaves us in our sin apart from him. Um, that's the effect of sin. That's what spiritual death is. And should we live forever, should we refuse to receive his mercy, and we will live forever in that place of spiritual death. And so the psalm is talking about exile and, and return from exile. And there's a picture there of our lives that, that we, as, as, at some point, and for me, my first 17 years, and even since then, at times, I still turn away from the Lord. And I end up being exiled from him relationally. 
and yet he pursued us and he restored our fortunes in an amazing way. It's really amazing. The whole story is incredible because he himself took on flesh, became Jesus Christ of Nazareth, lived a righteous life, um, identified with us, and then took that glorious life as God in the flesh and offered it in your place on the cross to pay for your sins so all of your offenses against God and others could be paid for in full by him so that the penalty, the just penalty of sin, which is death, which is exile, could be paid as Christ bore your sins. He paid for that, and then his righteous life is credited to you so you can now be treated as part of the family through simple faith in Christ. And that's the good news. Christ died for our sins. And he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. And there's no better fortune to have restored than to have our relationship with God restored, to be reconciled to him, and to be counted as part of the family, and know that he's with us always, and he loves us, and he uses all things for our good. And so for us, looking back, where do we look? We, look at, we can look at our lives. We can look at different things in our lives that he's given to us, how he's taken care of us, moments where he's blessed and, and kept us safe and so forth. But most of all, we look at Christ on the cross, dying for us and rising again for new life in him. And so as we do this, we can say with the psalmist, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now the psalmist goes on as well to talk about the future. So it's looking back, and, and, and there's lots to look back on. Um, there's lots of things to celebrate what Christ has done most of all. God works actually in, in all sorts of uh, temporary, temporary or temporal ways as well to take care of us. I was just uh, reflecting, going through some of, of the things just to be, be aware of, and this is a good exercise, I think, to do at the new year and really every day, looking back and looking forward. But, but sometimes we forget how good he's been to us. Personally, uh, as God's people, as a New Englander, uh, I'm just aware of some wonderful things that God's been doing in New England. Um, there are lots of churches being established in New England, good churches that, that make Jesus the center and are really involved in their communities to make him known and love people. Do you know that, that uh, since about 2000, um, there's roughly been 20 churches planted a year in New England, uh, throughout New England? And so now after 20 years, that's, you know, it's 400 churches. I think that's about right, the amount of churches that have been started in the past 20 years in New England. And, and those are good churches. I get to relate to some of these churches. And there's places uh, in New England that have not had a church that, that presents the truth of Christ and is there to love their community for generations. And now there's ones there. There are people going in and, and uh, replanting churches, churches that are uh, where the light's about to go out. They come in and, and restart those churches. So Vermont. Uh, you might uh, might know that Vermont is the least uh, religious state in the country. So when they, when the I think it was Pew Research or Barna asked, you know, how important is religion and do you believe in God and those sorts of questions, Vermont basically had the lowest, you know, positive response of any state in the union. And by the way, the next you know five states or so are all the rest of the New England states. Um, so Vermont is least reached with the good news of Christ. But the other side of that, it's the fastest growing Christian population in the country because there are churches being started and there are people going to, to Vermont 
with these church plants to love their neighbors and to represent Christ. We're seeing a quiet revival in New England, uh, and it's wonderful. And so let's not forget these things, to look at these things, and to look at our own church, right? To step back and think about our church. Here we are. And I know uh, we've not all been here all almost 20 years, but, but even in the years you've been here, I, I think you've seen some things. We started with this small band of people, and, and we've grown, and, and God's done wonderful things. People have come to believe in Christ uh, and be baptized. By the way, we have our baptism. We're planning uh, either the 18th or the 25th of this month, Saturday night, at New Life Assembly. So we have some folks being baptized. We're excited for that. I'll let you know more details. Uh, we've been able to baptize people and, and as the symbol, the sacrament of, of belonging to Christ and new life. Um, we've been able to plant three churches. It's kind of crazy. If you know us well enough, you know it's crazy because we don't have the resources, yet God has done stuff. He's been good. And um, we're continuing to grow. I'm excited about the stuff going on in the basement. Um, that's not a good word for that spot because it's going to be better than a basement. It's really a reception hall. Um, I'm excited for that because it's, it's not just a, a beautiful space that I see, but I see people. I see people built up. I see people added. Um, I see people encouraged uh, as a result of a, of a great space. So um, I could go on, I, I, and, I, and I hope you get the point, and I hope that we learn to live like this. I, I have to submit to you that I think one of the prime ways the enemy gets at us is getting you to forget what God has done getting you to forget what he's done and getting you to focus on what's not going right now, to live in the present moment with what's wrong. And the way you battle that is with faith. But how does, how does faith get strengthened? By remembering what he's done, looking back at all the things, most of all the cross, but everything else as well, and reminding yourself, knowing the history of your own life and the history of God's people and rehearsing these things again and again and again. I've just seen it, um, and I think it goes on everywhere. Um, I've seen it in my own life, this, this temptation to just lose sight and get mired down. And there's something that goes on in New England in the wintertime, I think. Maybe it's just this lack of sun or whatever, but they call it the winter doldrums. And that's the time when you do that, right? You just kind of, I want to hibernate, and then you start getting into depression, and oh, no, I feel terrible, and so forth. And the cure for it? apart from the things to do for your body, but in terms of your soul, the cure for it is to just to remember what he's done, to rehearse that and, and speak to your own soul. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that the Lord has been good to you. He's been good to you in Jesus. He's been good to you in these other ways. He's been good to his people in all these ways. I think you get the point, and I think you'll be blessed as you do that. The next part, the psalmist uh, says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And then those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So the psalmist is, is remembering, right? The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. He's, he's rejoicing, but he's not just living in the past. He's not just going to live on what went on. He's going to look forward to the future. And, and there's something going on. We don't know what's happened. Uh, there's something difficult, I think, going on. And, and it would fit with what we know of the exiles, because when the exiles came back, it was like a dream. They did rejoice, but they faced some real difficulties. They had problems with their neighbors. Uh, the other people around them were opposing the work of rebuilding the wall. They had, uh, we, we spent some time in Malachi recently, remember? And we learned about the people themselves were straying. And so there was a malaise, there was a lack. 
So that dream state and that joy had kind of diminished, and they were in need. And yet the psalmist is going to remember, he's going to look back, he's going to be glad, but he's also going to say, Lord, restore our fortunes. Restore us fully, O Lord. We look to you. And then he says, like streams in the Negev. What does that mean? Well, the Negev is the area in southern Israel. It's very dry. Think like Arizona dry. All right? It's very dry. And, um, and it's very dependent on the rainy season. And if you visit there, uh, you'll see there's a lot of gullies and, and so forth down the sides of hills. And they just look like gullies, but those are actually stream beds. And what happens when it rains, you get flash floods, basically. And, and the rain comes, and what was totally desert turns into something that's full of water. You can, that, that's actually a picture from uh, one, of the, one of the streams, stream beds, um, where, the, where it rained, and that's what happened, a flash flood. And then all of a sudden, everything grows as a result. You get grass and flowers grow up all around, and the, and the water table gets uh, reestablished, and there's fruit, and you can plant around those areas. You can grow things. And so the psalmist is asking the Lord to restore their fortunes dramatically and suddenly he's trusting God to do this to come and answer suddenly and I hope you see the the what's going on there and what it means but also the the implications that that the psalmist is not just saying you've been really good and I'm so glad and I'm just going to wait you know for when I go to heaven I know it'll be good then again now certainly that's true and there's a place, and a very important place in Scripture for our hope, our firm hope in being with the Lord and when he returns and restores the earth. That's our firm and guaranteed hope. But don't let that keep you from asking for your fortunes to be restored like streams in the Negev. From asking the Lord to come into situations that are challenging and difficult, to come in and bring restoration. It's here in the psalm for us to follow this and to live like this, to ask the Lord for things when we are aware of our needs. So when we're in that place, that doldrum or that challenge or that lack, that hardship, that loss of a job, the, the, the loved one who's straying or, or the, the health situation that you're struggling with, you do look back and remember and know that he's been good and find joy in that. But you say, Lord, please, would you restore restore our fortunes would you come and answer this now he has all sorts of answers he brings it's up to him he's good he knows best we trust him but don't fail to ask you have not because you ask not God is a gracious God he's good he loves us he wants us to ground ourselves in the sure hope of the gospel and and the final resurrection but he doesn't want us not asking him for the other things and that's what's going on here I think of George Mueller you might know this man. George Mueller lived in the 1800s. He was a man who lived out this psalm, if you read about his life. He, uh, he, raised, uh, he raised money to fund an orphanage. He ran an orphanage. And if you know the story, he actually he had a lot of missionary friends, and he could have gone overseas to bring the gospel, but he wanted to encourage his missionary friends in the broader Christian world to believe God to answer prayer. And so part of his establishing the the orphanage was as a kind of a demonstration place for God to be at work and so his story of his life is just God supplying the needs of this orphanage and there's all sorts of wonderful ways that God did it one one story is one morning they had no money left no food at all in the pantry and they have like a hundred kids and George Mueller got them to kind of assemble around the breakfast table 
and he said to them, uh, children, we, uh, you know that we have to start class soon, so let's ask God for the breakfast that we need to eat in order to get to class. There's no food anywhere. There's nothing. And this was a man who believed God and, and, and was wise. He wasn't presumptuous in this, but wise and faithful. And so he, he said, let's pray. And he thanked God for the food that we were about to receive. As he finished praying, there was a knock on the door. And it was the, the village baker. And he said, you know, I, I, last night I had this strong feeling that God wanted me to make bread for you guys. So I got up at 2 in the morning and made all this bread. Here you go. He came, delivered all the bread. And then... Um, Real story, verified, by the way, because you might be thinking, no way, yes way. Uh, so after the bread came in, um, there was another knock at the door, and it was the local milkman, and his cart had broken down right outside the gate of the orphanage, and he had to repair the wheel. The wheel fell off, I think, is what it happened. And he said, hey, I have to offload this milk. I need to get rid of it. I'd love to give it to you guys. Would you like it? Yes, thank you. So they had their milk and their bread for breakfast, and this man's life is full of those sorts of stories. This psalm and the life of George Mueller is calling us to be a people who, when we're faced with adversity, say, Lord, restore the fortunes of your people. Lord, come and answer. And often we have not because we ask not. Um, and, and this is not to displace God's use of suffering and difficulty. That has a place. But, but I want to bring this message alongside those two so we understand and we don't swing the pendulum too far one way. And we understand that God answers prayers. He loves to answer prayers. And I've, as a pastor, seen this in, in my own life. I've seen it in our church's life. I was just talking with a, another pastor this past week um, about their need for, for, for something in their church that's really important. And I was just telling them, you know, I, I, let's just ask the Lord. I just trust that he's going to supply that need. Um, and at, having pastored for years, I've seen God do it again and again. The different needs and big needs, you know, needs for just, well, um, one example years ago, about 10 years ago, we were recognizing that we didn't have many young people in our church. Our, our young adults and in high school ministry had dwindled down very small. I don't know if some of you remember that. And we as a church prayed. said, Lord, would you, would you work? Would you bring families with young people? Would you use us to love those sorts of families? Would you bring them in here? And now, I mean, and then God answered that. And we have a thriving youth ministry and, and uh, lots of young adults. We actually sent most of our young adults to Cambridge. And yet we still have young adults here. Just one example. I could go on and on. Um, so let's ask God for those things. Um, as we refurbish downstairs, let's pray uh, for, for the finances. We still need more money um, for it, about $10,000. So let's ask God to supply the rest of the money to do that. Let's ask God to bless it. Let's ask God to help us get it done uh, by Valentine's Day because we have a wedding reception we want to have down there. And we want to run Alpha as well. Let's ask God and believe him for these things. And ask God, most importantly, to use it. Because I really believe 2020, I'm trusting God. I believe this subjectively. I submit it to the Lord. But I think it's going to be a year of harvest. And I think we're going to see more and more people come to know the love of Jesus through us. So let's ask. Let's ask and pray. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Notice also that in the psalm, it's not just the dramatic answer that the psalmist is orienting himself towards. He says, then, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is a little different, isn't it? This speaks of, of planting seed. 
It says, those who sow in tears. Why would you be sowing in tears? It doesn't seem to make sense. Well, in the ancient world, when you went to sow seeds, you got those seeds from where? Your product, your bread, what would have been bread or would have been fruit or whatever. You're taking the product and you're putting it in the ground, a pretty stupid thing to do, right? You're sacrificing, you're risking. And so that's the idea, you're sowing in, in tears, you're sowing thinking, uh, and it's likely they're, they might be facing drought, there's difficulties, and they're thinking, oh no, if God doesn't do the streams and Negev thing to come in to water the earth, these seeds are all lost, and we already, you know, we gave away 20% of our crop to seeds, and it's sowing in tears. And there's times that God answers prayer by us sowing in tears, by us taking risks to invest ourselves in, in things that where the safe thing to do would, would be just to keep it and try to survive with it. And instead, God at times says, give it up, sow it, give yourself away, give your time away, serve what I'm doing. And it may seem nonsensical, but I'm going to use it. We face this all the time, uh, really, as Christians, because the conservative thing to do is to, is, to, is to not give yourself away, to not get involved, to not do that thing, to think about you know, all the reasons why it won't work, and to stay safe and secure, but you never sow the seed, and you may never see God's answer as a result. There's lots of ways that I think we can apply that. One thing, one way I was thinking about this recently, I heard a, a really good teaching just on the reality of our culture. And the teaching was just talking about how we really value freedom. It's become a big deal. Uh, we love to be free, and, and, and the particular way it works itself out, we like to be free with our schedule. We like to have choices. We like to, you know, with our leisure time, the, the amount of work hours a week has gone up and up, and so we, we, our leisure time is a little more precious, and so we like to keep the options open. Uh, we want to be able to do, you know, go out and if it's a beautiful day, just go, go to the beach and so forth, and we like to kind of keep the whole schedule free. We like freedom. We like choices. We like options. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but freedom doesn't work with building community. And so this teaching was in, in light of these things. We also all want community, right? We want to be part of a group that loves each other and is there for each other, we can identify with. We all want that. We're made for that, by the way, and God calls us to it. But if you want to keep all your options open on your schedule with all your leisure time, what's the problem with community? You're not going to be able to do community. If you want community, you have to sacrifice freedom. That's how it works. You have to be, you have to give up free time that you might use for something else to be there with others, to be there for your small group or your Bible study or your Sunday worship or when someone's in the hospital to visit them, things like that. You have to give up time to do that. So those things vie against each other. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Our culture says, yes, you can, and, and what happens, this is the phenomena that I think is going with that, we, we, we kind of do the freedom thing and we add social media, and we think, okay, that's kind of working, but it doesn't. Nothing wrong with social media. I use social media. I think it can be used to come under and really support community when it's done right, but don't let it replace that. So why am I saying this related to Psalm 126? Sowing in tears. Sometimes showing up to that community group, you know, it can be sowing in tears because Last time was so boring, I almost fell asleep. Why should I go again? You're sowing in tears. You're there. 
You're there to love people. You're there to build relationships. You're there to help. Maybe your teaching gifts are, are to be used. So there's different ways to serve. And that goes across the board for everything that we do. And, and this is not, you know, I didn't pick this message to somehow, like, get you guys involved in doing all these things. I want you to see the truth, and I want you to, for yourself, before God, to say, yes, Lord, I want to live this way. I want to sow in tears. Because what is the result? Reaping with shouts of joy. He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. When you invest in the things of God, when you make sacrifices, when you take risks that you might not like to take because you'd rather be safe and warm at home or wherever, when you risk to build community, to be there for others, to get involved, to serve, to use your gifts, whatever that might be, when you're doing things these ways according to the word of God, there is fruit and God answers. So part of how the, the streams of the Negev flow and bless people is through you sowing seed and then seeing fruit, you investing and in being there for others. I hope that makes sense. Um, and I just want to encourage you to, to believe God, to ask God, and to be involved with how you can sow. And I'm skipping a bunch of my message to, to conclude. Um, I just want you to hear what God's word says and what this, this call in this psalm to look back at what God has done, to remember what he's done, to enter into that and to rehearse that and to do that as a regular part of your life and to find yourself strengthened in your faith and find yourself actually being glad, but then to look forward and say, Lord, would you work? I put my hope ultimately in the final answer, the final blessing of the new creation, but Lord, would you work in this way? Would you answer this to pray and to ask God for things and then to invest your your seed, to invest your life in certain ways and sacrifice to serve God's purposes. I hope that is clear. I hope you heard from God's word. Let me encourage you right now just to take a minute and uh, maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, what is, what is one way I can sow seed in a way maybe I haven't to invest in what you're doing? I've given you some examples. You might be aware of others. Just think a moment for that. Or maybe you need to take a moment and say thank you Lord for how you've worked you've done great things let's take a minute to do that uh, if the band could come up and after about a minute or so Toby will transition us